Proverbs chapter 13. Still going in the book of Proverbs. While you're turning there, I want to tell you uh, an old story, a family favorite story. I don't remember this because it happened when I was born. <laughs> mom was in the hospital. I guess I was in the hospital too because I was just born. My mom had to share a hospital room when I was born with a lady with an unusual condition. I was born, mom gets settled in, starts getting to know her roommate, and this is a woman. Mom noticed right away something odd about her. Her skin had an orange tint. She started talking, they began conversing, getting to know one another, names, background. My mom noticed her fingernails had an orange tint. She looked a little closer and realized the whites of her eyes were not actually white. They had an orange tint. If you met my mother, you would <laughs> learn quickly that she is not subtle. And so she just turned to this lady and said, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and this lady said, well, they're evaluating me. Uh, you may have noticed that my skin is orange. And that is because I really, really like carrots. I was like, I like carrots too, but my skin's not orange. Like, how many carrots do you eat? And this lady's like, well, I, look, and you don't understand, I really like carrots. I, I eat like seven or eight bags a day. And, <laughs> and so this lady proves the old saying, you are what you eat, right? <laughs> sort of, sort of. I mean, that, that actually, that saying has never made a ton of sense to me because this lady was, was, she was turning orange, but she wasn't a carrot. <laughs> all right. Um, we all know that if you eat a ton of something, maybe if it's a ton of junk food, that's not good for you. If you eat health food, maybe you get healthier. You are what you eat. But you, most of us are not in danger of turning orange from too many carrots. But we can change colors in more subtle ways. All right, And I told that story because the other story that I'm going to tell isn't nearly as exciting. Here's the actual story that kind of gets me into the sermon. I, the first, that story, the carrot story is just funny. It doesn't actually have anything to do with this. But it's way more exciting than what I'm about to say, which is that one time I bought a pair of blue jeans. And I wore these new blue jeans without washing them first. And you know what they did? They turned the tops of my shoes blue and the end of my shirt blue. See, it's not nearly as exciting as the carrot story. But they're both, you know, colors and stuff, changing colors. Actually, the blue jean story helps us think <laughs> in a better way about Proverbs 13, verse 20. Proverbs 13, 20 is going to tell us something about how the world works. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Hopefully you've already found your way to Proverbs 13. Here's what it says. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's a very short verse. I'm going to read it again. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that teaches us about who we are and who you are and how the world works. And help us tonight 
to see with our eyes, to hear with our ears, and to set our hearts on all that you show to us. We love you, and we want to grow. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen. So last night, we learned that there's, there's two kinds of people in the world. There are the wise, and there are the fools. And we learned that it's the fear of the Lord that makes the difference, makes all the difference between the two. And tonight, Proverbs 13.20 is going to teach us that wisdom and folly are a little bit like a new pair of blue jeans. They can rub off. Right? That makes more sense, I hope, than the carrot story. You see where I'm going now with the blue jeans. People who walk with the wise become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. Wisdom and folly rub off. They transfer from one person to another. Proverbs 13.20 is going to teach us to choose our companions wisely. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So, companions is a broad term. In, in other verses in Proverbs, this word is sometimes translated friend. But I think it actually serves us that here we see this word companion because it, it helps us think very, very broadly about who are you going through life with? Who are the voices that you listen to? Who are the people that influence you? Could be friends, could be actual friends, could be people sitting with you in your row, people you've been hanging out with all afternoon, could be family members, could be people you're going to drive home with tomorrow. But if we limit ourselves just to the, 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 the people, the friends and the parents and the family members and the classmates and coworkers and fellow church members that we're around all the time, that limits us a little bit too much. We're not thinking rightly about all the kinds of companions that we might have walking through the day. Your companions are on social media. Your companions are the people that you follow on whatever it is you do, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. Your companions are also the characters in the movies that you watch and the books that you read. Your companions are the athletes or actors or politicians or TV personalities that you admire. Your companions are also found in the lyrics to the songs that you listen to. Your companions are all around you, and they speak nonstop. And like the dye in a new pair of blue jeans, they will rub off on you. And so Proverbs 13.20 pushes us to stop and evaluate. Say, who are your companions? Who are the people that are influencing you? Who are the friends? Who are the voices speaking to you all day? Now, I would imagine that if you have grown up going to church, you have probably heard something like this before. I doubt for most of you this is something groundbreaking. Maybe some of you this is new and you've never heard this. And, and great, I hope it serves you. But for many of us, this is familiar Many of you, you are choosing wisely. You are listening to your parents. You are, like we talked about last night, walking in the fear of the Lord. You're growing in wisdom, walking with the wise. But there is a, a warning here too. And I think it might actually serve us to take this verse in reverse order. 
We start with the second half of the verse, that the companion of fools suffers harm. That claim, the companion of fools suffers harm, that's a very straightforward thing to say. Here's what happens. You hang out with fools, you're going to hurt for it. The companion of fools suffers harm. Now, I think among young people, there is oftentimes two kinds of reactions. Well, maybe three. Some people are like, yes, that's true. I get that. Okay, great. You're learning wisdom. Some of you think, yeah, but I'm not like that. People don't really rub off on me. Some of you think you have a vaccination or some kind of herd immunity to the influence of others. And if that's the case, well, it's God's word against your word. <laughs> I know where my money is. You might not realize the ways that people rub off on you, but it happens. You might be surprised at the ways that other people see people influencing you. You start picking up other people's mannerisms, their ways of speaking. I remember Nicole and I had been married less than a year, I think. The first time I heard her say, dude, <laughs> she got that from me. I rubbed off on her. Some of you might think, no, no, it's not, that's, that's not my problem. I don't, that doesn't happen to me. And if that's you, you need to stop deceiving yourself. Others of you might have a different problem. Some of you might be thinking, well, so what? You're looking around at your companions, at, at your friends, at the world, at ungodly music or movies or books, and you're thinking, I want more rather than less of that. That is where fun and freedom lie. That is what I want. And if you are either, kind of those, either of those kind of people, Proverbs 13.20 offers you a warning. The companion of fools suffers harm. And you may not have been harmed yet, but you will be. And I wanted to read and preach from Proverbs 13.20 tonight in hopes that you will stop so that you won't suffer harm. Maybe you look around and you think, well, I see how other people get influenced by companions, by friends, by lyrics and songs, by movies and TV shows and everything else, but I'm not like that. Well, easy to say, hard to prove. There was a pastor, though, named J.C. Ryle. I've already quoted from him while we've been together here. And he said this in his book, Thoughts for Young Men. He said, you must remember that we are all creatures of imitation. There is something in us all that we are always disposed to catch the ways of those with whom we live. And the more we like them, the stronger does that disposition grow. It's like 100 years ago. That's why he's talking like that. He says, without our being aware of it, they influence our tastes and opinions. We gradually give up what they dislike and take up what they like in order to become closer friends with them. This is some similar ideas to what we talked about this morning about the fear of man. It's the same idea, but here we're thinking, okay, how does their example, how does the, how does the influence, the example, the priorities, the desires of the people that you're hanging out with, the people that you're learning from, how is that rubbing off on you? This quote, this quote from J.C. Ryle is, especially important for young people. He says, the more we like them, the stronger does that disposition grow. In other words, the more you enjoy somebody, the more you like their company, the more you look up to them, respect them, appreciate them, want to spend time with them, the faster that die is going to rub off on you. My man J.C. Ryle is right. 
when you're hanging out, there is more going on than just hanging out. According to, according to Proverbs, when you choose friends, when you choose companions of any kind, you are choosing a spiritual direction. You are choosing wisdom or you are choosing folly. You're making a choice whether you realize that or not. When I was in college, there were a couple guys in, in the church that were companions of mine. They were, I mean, they were friends. We didn't hang out a whole lot. They weren't my closest friends, but I knew them relatively well. I didn't see them all that often, but th- these guys were really popular in the church. They were fun guys to hang out with. One of them was a pastor's kid. He was very outgoing and gregarious. The other guy was this incredibly talented musician and was one of the funniest people I've ever met. Just life of the party kind of guy. And they invited me to go out with them one night. They were, they were playing. It was one of the guys. It was his birthday. And, and they're like, we're, gonna, we're, we're just going to go out and we're going to do some stuff. It's going to be fun. We're gonna, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to go hang out. We'll see what happens. And I had a busy week. <laughs> I was tired. And so I chose not to go with them. Mainly just because it was a long week and I wanted to go to bed. That actually happens. Eventually you'll experience that. <laughs> So I chose not to go with them. My friends, so that night, they go out. A couple of us, like two or three guys, they go out. They did two kinds of things that night. They did some stuff that was stupid. And they did some other stuff that was illegal. And a little after midnight, the cops caught up with them. And they got arrested. And that was an uncomfortable conversation. Um, One of them got kicked out of school for what they did. The other one, it was a setback for him spiritually that lasted him years. They suffered harm. That night set a trajectory for their lives. And if I had been their companion that night, I would have suffered harm too. That would have changed my plans. It would have changed my direction in pastoral ministry. I don't know if I would be here if I had just made that one decision to go with those guys that night. And I love to think, I, would, I look back on that, I'd love to think, yeah, but if I'd been with them, I would have said, let's not go do that illegal stuff. Uh, let's go to Ruby Tuesdays and get some dessert. You know, I but I don't know if I would have said that. I wasn't, I was young and foolish too. That's the kind of thing we did back then. It was, I don't know. We were wild. <laughs> oh, but don't miss the point for that. The companion of fools suffers harm. These guys were fools, and they suffered for it. And had I been with them, had I been their companion that night, I would have suffered too. God doesn't issue empty threats. When he says that the companion of fools suffers harm, he's saying harm will come. It's just a matter of time. It will come. But it doesn't have to be that way. And the alternative here is this. Walk with the wise. Those who walk with the wise become wise. Wisdom and folly rub off. I gave you that example of how folly rubbed off on my friends and almost rubbed off on me. I barely missed it that night. But good news, wisdom rubs off too. So if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. The way to do this is to participate in a wise community. You can actually, by, by, by choosing your companions, and again, I mean more here than just the people in your life, more than just your friends, your, your books, your movies, your music, everything. By choosing wise companions, you can choose for wisdom to rub off on you. 
So Charles Bridges, I just quoted from J.C. Ryle a couple minutes ago. Charles Bridges is another pastor from way back in the 1800s. Man, what is it with Steve Whitaker in the 1800s pastors? I like them. They're great. You'll understand when I read this quote. He said, here's what he had to say about it. He said, who is the friend who will be a real blessing to my soul? Is it enough that he will humor my fancies and flatter my vanity? Is it enough that he loves my person and would spend his time and energies in my service? This comes far short of my requirement. Okay, pause right there for you. You can just leave this here. Because <laughs> this is 120 years ago or something. It's, we don't really talk like this a minute. I want to make sure we understand what's going on here because this is kind of outdated language. When somebody talks about humor my fancies and flatter my vanity. I don't, I don't talk like that. I don't think you talk like that. I want to translate for you a little bit. Make sure we're on the same page here. He is asking, what kind of friend will be a real blessing to my soul? That's in the first sense. Easy enough to understand. He's saying, is a friend a good friend who only ever tells you what you want to hear? Is a friend a good friend who will only ever praise you? Is a friend a good friend if they only ever make you feel like you are part of the in crowd? Someone in the group who maybe says something dumb and this other guy kind of catches eyes with you and you're like, yeah, <laughs> that guy. Is someone a good friend because you think he or she is funny? Or because he or she just likes you, just enjoys your company? Is that enough because you get the same kind of jokes, because you like the same movies, you have the same taste in music, you dress the same. Is that enough? That's what humoring your fancies and flattering your vanities means. And Charles Bridges, who was a wise pastor, he says, that comes far short of being a good friend. All right, so back to the quote now. He says, I am a poor, straying sinner with a wayward will and a blinded heart going wrong at every step man this is a humble guy do you think of yourself this way the friend for my case is one who will watch over me with open rebuke but a reprover when needful not a flatterer a reprover that's an old word for somebody who will correct you the genuineness of a friendship without this mark is more than doubtful. Its usefulness is utterly paralyzed. What he's saying here is that a true friend is somebody who is willing to correct you. Someone who is willing to point out, you know what, hey, I overheard that phone call and I don't think the way you spoke to your mom was very respectful. Somebody says, you know, that I, I, I've heard of that song that you were playing a minute ago and those are terrible lyrics. Have you thought about what that guy is saying? Somebody who says, I, I heard about that movie, I, I thought about watching it, I read a review, and it seemed really ungodly, and what they, the, the main character, what they put forward as the good guy is wretched stuff. What do you like in that movie? Do you have friends like that? And if not, why not? Is this what you look for in a friend? Someone who will watch over you with open rebuke. <laughs> um, well, I'll look, I'll be honest with you. When I think about, mm, going to meet some new people, going to come to this conference, 
this weekend, some parents, some teens, going to get to know some people. Man, I hope I find somebody who will just lay it on me with some open rebuke. Sounds good. Smack me upside the head, bring some verses. No, look, I get that. We, we like people who are fun and funny. We gravitate towards that. I understand that. But what we're thinking about here is the long term. Who are the people, who are the companions that you are going to invest yourself in, that you're going to walk with for the long haul? Are they godly? Will they help you grow in godliness? That is what Charles Bridges is getting at. So, actually, I'm going to chuck a little logic at you here, right? I'm going to give you what's called an argument from the lesser to the greater. It's fancy stuff. I went to college. Look, if you're my friend, and we're about to walk into church together, and you notice that I got a piece of spinach from this morning's omelet stuck in my teeth, and you don't say something to me? What kind of friend are you? I got half my shirt untucked. I got a piece of toilet paper stuck in my shoe. You don't say something to me? What kind of friend are you? Right? A friend is, hey, hey. <laughs> you know, that's what a friend does, right? Am I right? Okay. Um, that's what friends do for one another. And if, okay, so here's where, you, you see how argument from the lesser to the greater. If that's true of spinach in my teeth or a piece of toilet paper on my shoe, how much more if I am sinning against a holy God? How much more if I've wronged somebody else with bitter judgmental words or with gossip or disrespect towards my parents? How much more if I've sinned by filling my mind, by polluting my soul? with ungodly lyrics to songs and movies. What kind of friend are you if you don't stop your friend from running off the cliff in the dark? That's not a good friend. Do you see how this works? A true friend, a wise friend, cares enough to stop you from doing that. And so... It's part of how walking with the wise works. It's, it's finding a community of wisdom around you, building a community of wisdom around you, people and books and music that helps you grow in godliness. A good and godly friend will watch over you with open rebuke and is not afraid to speak. I remember the first time I found a friend like this. I was in college, and this friend named Jose my buddy Jose. Jose was a chef. Chef is a tough business, right? It's fast-paced. It's hot. People are just brusque, and they're like, I need this. I need it now. They get stuff done. Jose came from a rough background. He played hockey. He was a big dude, and he just brought it. And I got to know Jose. We became friends pretty quickly, and it wasn't long before <laughs> Jose one day was just like, I think you're lazy. Wait, what? And he just said, you just told me about how you overslept your quiet time for like the fifth day in a row. You're lazy. Why don't you get up on time and read your Bible? <laughs> My head just like snapped back like that. Yeah, okay. Well, can you, how do I, how do I, I just, I set my alarm and I, I, I'm really good at this thing, this hitting that snooze thing. What, how do, what do I do? He's like, I'll call you. Okay. 
So sure enough, 5.30 the next morning, my phone's ringing. Not fun. He's a good friend. Jose helped me. And I helped Jose. We walked together. We were a community of wisdom. We brought others in with us. Now, I'm not going to tell you that this is always easy. Look, I'm 43 years old. I'm still learning to love correction. Okay, I don't... I don't like walk into this just thinking, man, I just love getting corrected. I love it when people show me how I'm wrong. I, I, I can't say that. I wish I could. I'm not that humble yet. I'm not dead yet. And I expect this pride to be with me until I die. But I'm trying. I'm working on it. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. I was growing up. This was, you know, we weren't supposed to say stupid around the house unless you were quoting this verse. And we, we pretty soon had a rule where you could, you could say it, especially if you said it with like two O's. Whoever hates reproof is stupid. It's a pretty blunt verse, isn't it? Stupid. How many times do you get called stupid in the Bible? Well, here it is. If you, if you hate being corrected, it's, you're stupid. Proverbs 15.10, there is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof, he's going to have a rough go of it. No, that's not what it says. Whoever hates reproof will die. Man. But Hebrews 12, 1, 12, 11, excuse me, says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to everybody who receives it. No, again, that's not what it says. To those who have been trained by it. Lots of people get corrected. The wise... Those who fear the Lord are trained by it. The fools, they don't listen. They're not trained by it. So it's just pain. They just had pain for no good reason. They just endured the pain of correction and got nothing out of it. I've done that before. So you might be asking, you might be thinking to yourself, look, I'm 14 or 17 or whatever you are. You might be thinking, is, come on, man. Is this realistic? Like, are teenagers really going to get up in each other's business? And correct each other? Be like, hey, you shouldn't have spoken that way. You shouldn't have gossiped like that. You shouldn't listen to that music. Are, they really, are teenagers really going to do this? I want to say to you, why not? Are we calling ourselves Christians or no? Are we going to church or no? Do we believe the Bible is true or no? Why not? Why could there not be a community of young people in the church who love Jesus and His Word and righteousness and one another enough to keep each other from running off the cliff, to keep each other from walking into church with spinach in their teeth and sin on their conscience. Why not, guys? What is more important than this? What is more important than holiness and obedience to God's Word? You can do this. And it will feel awkward the first and the second and the fifth time. But not, I don't know, the 10th or 15th or 30th time. It won't be awkward forever. And listen, how about we dispense with the idea that awkward is the worst thing that can happen to you? You know what? It's, yeah, it's awkward. You say something. You know, hey, that song, that song's terrible. You should delete that from your playlist. Oh, it's so awkward. You know what? Like 10 seconds later, it's not. Because somebody said, what, what are you talking about? Did you hear what he just said? Did you hear it? L listen to that line. Oh, my word, you're right. Get rid of that. 
Not awkward. Now you're done with awkward. You're past awkward. It goes by really quick. You'll be over it. It's okay. It's like getting a shot. The worst part of it is looking at the needle. And then it's done. And you're like, oh, what's so bad? I got a Band-Aid. It's fine. It's like this. Trust me, I've been there. You can do this. So we're going to build a community of wisdom. Young people, I want to I want to challenge you. I want to call you to this. There are few things that will get the attention of an unbelieving world more than young people who are living lives categorically different than their peers. If you together will look each other in the eye and say, you know what, let's do this. Let's build a community of holiness. Let's be people where being godly is what's cool. And let's, let's throw contempt on what's out there, what is cool out there. We don't need that. You know what will happen? People will be like, what is with you guys? I want to hear more about this. Who is this Jesus guy? Tell me about it. People are attracted to that. They're made interested in that. They're curious about that. To get there, you need wise companions. To rub off, if, you're gonna, if, if wisdom is going to rub off, you need wis, wise people. You got to find those wise people. You got to begin to be wise together, but that's not enough. You, you, you can't just have peers who are like, yeah, let's do this. That's where you start, but you would need other kinds of wisdom. You need a wise community around you. And this begins with your parents. We got started on this last night, thinking about how we learn the fear of the Lord by listening to your parents' instruction. Heeding their wisdom. Imitating their example. That's what it means to walk with the wise. I didn't take much time last night to talk about what does that really mean. How do you actually do that? Partly because I knew this message was coming. Partly because Mike was like, hey, I need you to make it quick. We got a lot to talk about. Um, He didn't really say it like that. (laughs) So we begin building a community of wisdom with parents. A couple things you can do here. One, ask for their advice. Do you ask your parents for advice? You have an expert on hand 24-7. Almost any problem you're going to encounter, your parents either know the answer or know where to find the answer. Do you get their advice? And I don't just mean like, hey, mom, dad, where should I go to college? Well, that's good. You should get their advice on that. But even in much more sort of nitty-gritty level of life, I had this conversation. Dad, Mom, I had this conversation today at work or at church or at school. And I said this. Here's what this person said, and here's what I said. How how can I have handled that better? How can I grow in this? Maybe it's like a customer was rude to me at work today. Man, I was working the drive-thru line at Chick-fil-A, and they said, oh, this, and they started complaining to my boss. I didn't know what to do. What should I have done there? Get their advice on that stuff. So, ask for their advice. Second, embrace their correction. I I worked for a while trying to figure out what's the word that I should put in front of correction here? Seek their correction, invite their correction, ask for their correction. I think embrace. It's not enough just to seek it. You're going to get it. If your parents are doing their job, you're going to get it sometimes whether you ask for it or not. But there's also times where you should embrace it. I read that earlier, Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. I'm, again, I want to be the first to admit that receiving correction is not easy. It's not fun. But the result is you grow. 
In the same way that people need a coach on a sports team to push them further. Some of you all run cross country. Some of you all play soccer. You need a coach to push you for endurance and to teach you skill. Parents do the same thing. That's what correction is. We come up with better terms for it when it's a coach. It's like training. It's player development. It's correction. Like, hey, you don't dribble the ball very well. Let me show you how to handle that transfer from your left foot to your right foot. That's correction. It just doesn't seem as hard because it's not as personal. It doesn't seem as hard because you probably don't have the same level of pride towards your coach as you do towards your parents. So embrace their correction. Receive that as from the Lord. It's a gift from God to you. And third, so ask for their advice. Embrace their correction. Third, learn from their example. If your parents have been walking with the Lord, if your parents are godly Christians, learn from their example. Study them. Watch them. Listen to the words that they speak to others. Listen to how they conduct themselves at church. Watch how they host people over for hospitality and care for others. As you're reading through the New Testament, Notice how often the word imitate comes up. It's there a lot. It's probably there more than you think. Pay attention to that next time you're reading through the New Testament. And if your parents are Christians, they have been given to you to show you how to do it. So watch and learn. So if you're going to build a community of wisdom, it starts with your parents. You need God's word. Read the Bible every year. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now, but I wonder how many of you have read the entire Bible? Have you read it cover to cover? Have you read even some of those little skinny books in the Old Testament? Like, man, what is going on here? What's with the locusts? You know, there's, there's some tough ones. But have you read the whole thing? Have you ever read it in a year? You know what? You only have to read three chapters a day to read the whole Bible in a year. It's not that hard. You can do this. And so you grow a community of wisdom around you by reading God's Word. Wisdom rubs off on you as you read God's Word. We're going through the book of Proverbs. You know how many chapters there are in Proverbs? 31. How many days are there in most months? 31. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Maybe it is, but it's pretty convenient. Um, Read Proverbs. Listen, young people, there's few things you can do better than read Proverbs. Get this wisdom in your heart and in your mind and learn to imitate it. My nephew, Andrew, is 20 years old, and I've been amazed watching the transformation in his life over the last year or two. More and more, he has grown to embrace God's Word, and he shows up at, at family night telling us about the Bible studies that he's going to with friends. They're reading theology, reading these big, thick, systematic theology books together. He is reading everything he can on current events, trying to understand race and ethnicity and all these, these difficult topics that are out there right now. And I think that is, that is so cool, that at 20 years old, with all this time that he's got, he's using it so that wisdom would rub off on him. And I want to encourage you to do that. Wisdom can also rub off on you through other kinds of books as well. I hope you're a reader, and I want to encourage you to read. Read wise books, okay? Read wise fiction. I'm going to tell you to read fiction. I think you should read fiction. I think Christians should read a lot of fiction 
Because the Bible, much of it is a story. Fiction is, I'm not saying the Bible is fiction, don't get me wrong, okay? But it is a story. And fiction teaches us how to understand characters and plot and tension. It teaches us to spot the good guys and to dislike the bad guys. But read wise fiction. Read Andrew Peterson's Wing Feather Saga. Those are great books. I see some of you nodding like, yes, I dig it. Read Tolkien. Many of you have probably read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Read The Silmarillion and The Lost Tales. Read Lewis. If you've already read The Chronicles of Narnia, read the Space Trilogy. Read Till We Have Faces. I read Till We Have Faces. I finished that book, and I just started it right over again. I was like, what is going on here? It's such a good book. It's one of the favorite books I've ever read. Reread Narnia. We, we listened to The Last Battle driving down here. The timing was almost perfect. We actually have about six minutes left. <laughs> We're almost, it's really, what's going to happen? Um, but Narnia is so good. Or get a good companion to Narnia. Get Joe Rigney's book, Live Like a Narnian. Or Doug Wilson's book, What I Learned in Narnia. So read wise fiction. Read wise theology. Guys, a couple of weeks ago, a theologian named J.I. Packer died. J.I. Packer may be one of the most influential theologians of the last hundred years. And his books, well, especially Knowing God, his book, Knowing God, people, I predict, will still be reading that a hundred years from now. Maybe more than that. It's an easy prediction to make because none of us will be here to test it. But that's what I predict. You know what? Read Knowing God before you graduate. It's a challenge for you. If you've already read it, then read, uh, read R.C. Sproul's book. Old Beetle. Read R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God. If you want to grow in understanding the holiness of God, if you want that wisdom to rub off in you, if you've already read that, read J.C. Ryle's book, Holiness. Oh, man, one of the best books I've ever read on the Christian life. Read wise biography. So read wise fiction, read wise theology, read wise biography. Our family at dinner times, we've been reading through some good biographies. About a month and a half ago, we finished Corey Tenboom's book, The Hiding Place, about the Dutch resistance against Nazi Germany. Man, these were people who prayed and were godly. They were just like, just godly, godly people. And we were inspired to grow in, in, in prayer and in love for godliness. Right now, we're in the middle of Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor about missionary work to the Aka Indians. And we got, okay, I got props over here for that. Um, read Eric Metaxas's book, Bonhoeffer. You want a, a, a vivid picture of a guy who was courageous to stand against the tide of culture and paid for it with his life. Listen, some of us in this room, we're going to pay to stand against the tide of culture. We're certainly going to go to prison. Some of us may die for it. Read Bonhoeffer, so you'll be ready. I hope some of you make it to wise philosophy even. I've mentioned The Weight of Glory and C.S. Lewis's The Inner Ring. Read that. Read G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. Read them with discernment. All right? We don't necessarily buy everything that we read, but, but read good books. Listen, reading is a lost art. Video games are easy. Netflix series are easy. Right? You don't get much out of that. Uh, John Piper said... This was in a different context. He was talking about something else. But he said, raking is easy, but all you get is leaves. 
Digging is hard, but you might find diamonds. So read to get wisdom. Let wisdom rub off on you. And as long as we're talking about walking with the wise, I don't want us to miss out on the wisest of all. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus, the wisest man who ever lives. If you want to walk with the wise, the best and most important way to walk with the wise is to walk with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. More than anything or anyone else, walking with the wise means walking with Jesus Christ. Are you walking with Jesus? Are you working to grow in your knowledge of Him? Can you say you have a relationship with Him? I have a neighbor a couple doors down, uh, across the street, a couple doors down that I know his name. We have the same last name. He spells it different, Bob, Bob Whitaker. It's great. You know what? I don't ever talk to Bob. I never see Bob. He's never out in his yard. He's never coming and going. I never pass him at the mailbox. I walk past his house. I never see him. I never talk to him. How's my relationship with Bob? What relationship? I don't talk to him. He doesn't talk to me. I don't know him at all. It's not a very good relationship. I'd like to get to know him. I look for him. But I don't know him. Is your relationship with Jesus like that? I know stuff about Bob. I know he's a contractor that does remodeling. I know he has chickens. They just recently had like 12 chicks. They were very cute. I know he has a little fire circle that he sometimes uses because I see sticks turn to ashes in it. I know about Bob. I don't know Bob. Is Jesus like that for you? Or do you talk to him? Do you listen to him? We listen to him through his word. We read this book. And we talk to him through prayer. If you want to know Jesus, listen to him in his word and speak to him in prayer that you might know him that you might walk with him, and that that wisdom might rub off on you. Jesus makes Christians to be his friend so that his wisdom can rub off on us and so that we might become the kind of people who have wisdom that will rub off on others. It's friendship with Jesus Christ that makes that true friendship possible in this life. So, wisdom and folly rub off. And choosing a friend is choosing a spiritual direction. So choose wisely. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that we are easily affected and easily influenced. And sometimes it's hard to admit, but we know that we become like those we admire. We become like those we spend time with. We become like those we look up to and try to imitate. And so help us to choose well, to choose wisdom rather than folly. Help us to walk with the wise, not to be companions of fools, so that the right stuff, so that wisdom would rub off on us rather than folly. Help us to do this for your glory, but help us to do this for the sake of our souls, that we might not suffer harm. We don't want to suffer harm for no good reason. No, we want to enjoy walking with you and experiencing the wisdom that comes from Christ. Help us to do this. In your name we pray. Amen.